today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie Over 100 Palestinians were killed. Hundreds more were injured yesterday as they gathered to receive humanitarian aid from a convoy close to Gaza City. Now, there are conflicting reports about the events leading up to the incident. Witnesses say Israeli troops fired on a large crowd of Palestinians who were racing to pull food off an aid convoy and Gaza's health ministry described it as a massacre. While Israeli's military say tanks fired warning shots but didn't strike the lorries. Well, for the very latest, I'm joined on the line by Belle True, Chief International Correspondent with the London Independent. And Belle, thank you very much for joining us on this this morning. Clearly there were chaotic scenes around that aid convoy, but there are starkly differing accounts of what happened. What more can you tell us? Well, Israeli officials have admitted to opening fire on these group of people who were trying to get aid. And although we don't necessarily know just how many people were injured because of that opening fire or how many people were killed or injured from the stampede, in the end, the truth is, is that for northern Gaza, the situation is apocalyptic in terms of the desperation, in terms of the lack of food, lack of supplies and growing levels of starvation. What we do know is that aid trucks, very, very rare aid trucks, managed to get to the north. There was a large crowds who were completely desperate, who were trying to pull the uh, you know cans and bags of flour off this of this uh, convoy. Israeli officials admit that they opened fire. There appears to have been some form of stampede, which of course would be expected with that many people, that level of desperation and live ammunition being fired. And what we know from the health officials on the ground in Gaza is that at least 112 people were killed, maybe as many as 800 wounded. But what this really highlights is the desperation in North Gaza. There's at least 300,000 people who remain in this area. There has been pretty much no aid going there. It is very dangerous for aid trucks to get to the north. And when they get there, they are overwhelmed by large crowds. So a lot of organisations I've been talking to say they can't risk sending their um, their staffers up to the north and the World Food Programme has also said that. So despite, it, it almost doesn't matter what the details were of what occurred because the levels of desperation mean that there is a breakdown in law and order, there is desperation and this will, you know, these kinds of scenes could be seen again. I just was reading the UN Secretary General this morning confirming what you're saying, saying that they just haven't been able to deliver aid to the north. So the Israelis, you say, have said we did open fire because this stampede was happening uh, when the aid trucks arrived. Have they explained more about that, like what the aim was of, of opening fire at that time? So at the moment, there is an investigation that's ongoing um, from sort of uh, reports uh, off the record have essentially said that that the... um that they felt that the soldiers felt that the group, the crowds posed a threat. There are no firm details. They, the Israelis are uh, insistent that the majority of the people who were injured and killed were from the stampede that occurred um, at the same time. But at the moment, it's very unclear exactly what occurred in those precise minutes. Mm-hmm. But of course, if you have large groups of desperate civilians who are trying to take from a convoy, if there's live ammunition, 
um, and there's you know desperate, hungry people, the situation is going to be extremely volatile and very, very dangerous. Yeah, I'm just reading from the BBC report, a Palestinian witness who said most of the dead had been run over by the lorries. But again, it's, it's so difficult to verify this. And we saw the pe- petition from international journalists asking to be allowed in so that people could bear witness to this themselves. We're not at that point yet. So we're relying on these various statements coming through. The one thing that is clear, though, is, uh, Belle, this event will have huge implications um, for a lot of reasons, but in particular, that mooted ceasefire, which President Biden had suggested might be in place by the end of the weekend. That is looking further away now. Yes. So I've speak to people who are very close to negotiations and they've said to me from the very, very beginning that one of the most difficult Uh, situations that happen when they're trying to negotiate these ceasefires is if something happens on the ground that pushes either side to walk out of the negotiating room. And so this kind, these kinds of scenes where you're seeing absolute desperation, you're seeing civilians um, being injured and wounded and and, and killed will, of course, pile additional pressure in that room where people are trying to hammer out at the moment just a temporary ceasefire. It was looking uh, more positive than we've seen in the last few weeks and few months with negotiations reaching at least some kind of form of detail. But I've also had people who are close to negotiations telling me that they need to be cautious about this. There are still some major gaps that need to be bridged in order for this to go ahead. And the pressure is mounting. We are reaching um, Ramadan on the 10th of March. Uh, I think all sides would like to have some form of truth, truce in place before then because there are expected to be rising te- um, tensions across the Middle East region. And of course, because the situation in Gaza is getting to the point of of total breaking point. In the north, as I said, there are 300,000 people. There's basically no aid getting through. The UN has said that a quarter of Gaza is one step away from famine. I've spoken to aid workers on the ground who say in the north, famine is already happening. There's just no one that can go there to assess it officially. We've got situations where there's lack of supplies. There's, you know, people are drinking toilet water. They are eating grass. That's at least what I've been told. So, you know, this ceasefire is also desperate because one of the key components of it is humanitarian aid delivery. And that is not going to happen until the truce is in place and it's safe for trucks to get up there and for food and medical supplies to be given to civilians. Mm-hmm. And one way that's happening is using, or there's a hope certainly that aerial aid drops might uh, alleviate in some way those desperate conditions. You're going to Jordan, are you, to join one of their aerial aid drops? Yes, hopefully that's the plan. But just to explain, you know, aerial aid drops are, of course, vital because that's pretty much the only way to get aid to the north at the moment because the situation is so chaotic on the ground. But of course, these airdrops, are, are, you know, what you can put on a plane is very, very small in comparison to what you can put on a truck. And what you need is constant, continuous delivery of food and supplies because otherwise there is nowhere else for people to get basic things like bread like water. So even though aerial aid drops are often a lifeline, it's really a drip feed in comparison to what is needed right now. If you're talking about 300,000 people in the north, there's also a crisis in the south in in Rafah, where 1.5 million people are sheltering in this tiny town on the border with Egypt. There, there's also desperation for more aid. What is coming into Gaza right now simply isn't enough. And the UN has said this repeatedly. Humanitarian agencies have said this repeatedly. Now world leaders are saying it. Um, There needs to be a ceasefire in place to ensure that enough food and 
water can get to desperate civilians. Mm -hmm. And what is the latest on Rafa and the planned ground offensive that we heard about two weeks ago? Israel was saying, and I think it was coming up to Ramadan as well, where they were saying that that would be the time that they would do this, the 9th or 10th of March. Where does that stand? Well, at the moment, it's all hinged on whether there's going to be a ceasefire, a temporary ceasefire or truce. At the moment, there are still negotiations taking place between Hamas and Israel with the assistance of the US and Qatar. They're looking for a potentially at the moment, at least reports are a 40 day uh, truce fire, um, sorry, truce ceasefire deal, which would see the release of some of the remaining hostages that are uh, inside Gaza in exchange for humanitarian aid. If that truce is put in place in the next few days, then that will hold off an offensive on Rafah. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said very you know, many, many times that he does want to go into Rafah. He has called it the last stronghold of Hamas, and he believes there may be hostages being held there. The issue is there's 1.5 million people there. The vast majority of people who are displaced from Gaza are now crushed into this tiny town. They are living in tents. I talk to them, to people there every day. They are living in tents. They have nowhere to go and nowhere to hide. And Egypt has made it very clear it will not open its borders because that violates decades-old peace uh, deals between Israel and Egypt. And also, of course, would be the forcible displacement of Palestinians, which would cause, you know, which would ricochet across the region. So when I'm talking to humanitarian aid people on the ground in Rafah, they're telling me that this yeah, you know, the offensive would be abs- would be uh, disastrous, uh, mm-hmm. apocalyptic. The death toll would be huge. Um, Belle, you also talk, I know, regularly to the families of the hostages who are still in Gaza, the Israeli hostages, and most of them would like to see a ceasefire. They just want their loved ones home. Absolutely, there are still believed to be at least one hundred and thirty-six hostages remaining in Gaza. We're not sure if all of them are still alive. And there were some intelligence reports from the Israelis that potentially as many as 50 of that number are already dead. Families of the hostages are extremely worried about their loved ones. They are really desperate to get them home safely. And they have said repeatedly since the, the beginning that the first objective of this must be the return of the hostages, not a military objective. And they've said repeatedly that they would take any deal that allowed their loved ones to come home safely. They are very worried that their loved ones are under these this ferocious bombardment, that they are also subject to you know hunger, to a lack of water, to a lack of medical supplies. So the overwhelming uh, message that's coming from the families is please, you know, ceasefire now so we can have the in, you know the release of all our relatives. So there's also pressure mounting on Israel internally as well for that. Thank you very much, Belle. It's such a desperate, unspeakable situation for people on both sides. Belle True, who is Chief International Correspondent with the London Independent. Now, coming up next, Brian O'Connell has an update on that ongoing controversy over vulnerable children who are in state care. Text 51551. Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.